We've been talking the last two weeks about busyness in life, about all the things that kind of crowd out our life. The first week we talked about there are kind of three main things that, that choke out the Word of God in our life. We read that in a parable, that there's the cares of life, like work and family, that kind of stuff. There's riches, which is money and dealing with money. And then there's the pleasures of life, which is all the luxury things, hobbies, nice things that we like to collect or those kinds of things. And those three things, if we give them too much time, if we give them too much effort, too much energy, they choke out the Word of God in our life. Last week, we talked about how we can counteract that, how we can do some weeding and get those thorns out of the way so that they don't choke out the Word of God. And that's by reprioritizing our life around God and around the places and the times that he says, I'm going to meet you there. And I'm going to give you my grace and my peace and my abundance. We talked about how in worship and prayer and in scripture is where God gives us the gifts of peace. He gives us the gifts of joy. He gives us the gifts of his own, uh, the Holy Spirit, his own personal presence. He can fill us and speak to us and guide us. And that he says, these are the places that I am. So meet me there. And when we prioritize our life around those places, we have peace because Christ gives us peace in the Holy Spirit. And today, we're going to kind of continue on in that conversation about our schedules and how busy we can make our schedules. And what we've heard is that um, busyness in our schedules uh, is a problem, that frankly, we just have too much going on in our days, in our weeks, on our calendar. But all this busyness actually produces something in us, and it's, a, it's, actually, it's actually a symptom of something else, and it's a symptom of hurry, of this desire that we always need to be on the move, moving on to the next thing, and this causes a lot of damage in our life. This, in fact, uh, hurry, as Dallas Willard said, is the great enemy of the spiritual life. That when we're in a hurry, we oftentimes miss God. And we're going to talk about how not to miss God today. We're going to talk about how not to be in such a hurry that we actually miss out on what God is doing. And we're going to actually look at two different stories, two stories from Scripture, one from Jesus and one from the apostles. And as I was uh, reading this passage and praying about it this week, uh, you know, I have two little kids, a four-year-old and a two-year-old. Many of you know them. And I don't know if you know any four-year-olds or two-year-olds or if you've recently known any four-year-olds or two-year-olds, but you know they, they tend to have this habit where they're working on something and they are just so excited about this thing. And they're, it's either Legos or a painting and they have to tell you about it. And so then you're talking to your spouse, you're talking to someone, and you have a very urgent, important conversation that you're having with this person. And before you know it, there's this voice trying to get your attention. Dada, 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 dada. And you're trying to have this conversation because you know if you don't finish this conversation, you're going to forget to tell your spouse or tell the other person this really vital information. And oftentimes we end up saying, shh, you need to be quiet. I need to finish this conversation, right? Any of you know this feeling? Any of you know this? Where you have this four-year-old, this two-year-old, this young person trying to get your attention when you're trying to have this really important conversation. This actually happened to me, as you can imagine, multiple times a day, all week this week, as I was preparing this sermon and as I was thinking about this scripture. So it's quite apt that this is going on right now and that we're having this conversation right now. But in that moment, oftentimes what happens is we think what we're talking about is really vitally important. Scheduling, appointments, finances, whatever it is. And to your child, a little child, if they're playing with Legos or they're doing some sort of art or creative work, in their world, 
That is the most important thing. Their whole world is wrapped around this one thing that they're focusing on. That's how a child's brain works. And so when a child comes up to you and is trying to get your attention about this thing that they're working on, what they're trying to show you is this most important thing. And what we do when we say, shh, I need to finish my sentence, is we put our thing is more important than their thing. You see how that works? And we tend to elevate the importance of our own conversation over the importance of our child, whatever it is that they're working on. And we don't just do this with children, but we do this with adults too. We go about our business and we think the thing that I'm working on right now is really very important. I'm doing this task, I'm running this errand, I'm heading toward this vacation, doing that thing, and it's really, really very important that I do this. And oftentimes we don't, we either uh, get in the way of other people or we get, uh, you know, we shove people over because we're trying to be in such a hurry to get the thing that we think is so vitally important done. This is how we operate in our world. We're always in a rush, always in a hurry to get our things done. We don't have time to talk to other people. We don't have time to make eye contact with other people. I don't know if you do this too. When I'm at the grocery store, I'm like, eyes forward, eyes forward. Don't make eye contact. We don't have time for anybody else because what we're doing is vitally important. What we're going to hear today, two stories, one from Jesus, one from the apostles, and we're going to see how they have a much different way of going about their life. So let's jump into the scripture. This first one is from Luke chapter 18. Um, and I just a quick breakdown of Luke, just so you understand what's going on before this passage. Um, in Luke, Luke is broken up into three parts. The first eight chapters or so is, is Jesus in Galilee. He's doing ministry. He's establishing the kingdom. He's doing some teaching. The middle section, chapters 9 through 19, is this long journey to Jerusalem. Chapters 9 through 19, the middle part of Luke, Jesus is always on the move. He's always going to this place to have this meal, going to that place to do this ministry, going to this area to do this teaching. He's always moving, 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 moving. He's very busy in Luke chapters 9 through 19. And then in chapters 20 through the end, uh, Jesus is in Jerusalem. And this is when he does some final teachings. He do, they do the Last Supper. He's crucified and resurrected. Okay? Luke has three parts. A little part of the beginning, where he's in Galilee. This big middle section, where he's always on the road, always on the move, and always doing ministry. And then the last section, where he's in Jerusalem, giving some final teachings, and is crucified and resurrected. Luke 18 comes toward the end of his travel narrative. He's on the move. He's doing some teaching. Right before this passage, he teaches on the kingdom. He has thousands of people in front of him. He's teaching on the kingdom. He's healing people, and he's rebuking the Pharisees. And it's right in the middle of this conversation. And if you have a red-letter Bible and you open it up, it's like 17 is all red almost. And then you get to 18, and this story literally interrupts his teaching. He's teaching, 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 teaching. He doesn't finish his teaching, and this story happens, okay? So what we're reading here is an actual interruption of the story, of the Gospel of Luke, with this story here. People were bringing even infants, babies, to him that he might touch them, that is, to bless them. And when the disciples, his friends, saw it, they sternly ordered them not to do it. So Jesus is teaching, he's doing his thing. Some parents want to bring their kids so that Jesus can bless them. 
This was fairly normal in this time. Rabbis did this a lot. Um, they would bless children. So people were bringing their kids and even their babies to them. And when the disciples, all of Jesus' helpers, saw it, they were trying to keep these people away from Jesus. He's too busy. He's got too much going on. He's in the middle of teaching. Why are you bothering him while he's teaching? Jesus called for them, that is, the parents and the children, and said, Let the little children come to me, and do not stop them, for it is to such as these that the kingdom of God belongs. In the disciples' mind, Jesus was too busy, and his work was too important for these children. And Jesus, Jesus was a lot of things. Jesus is Lord, he is King, he is the Messiah. He healed people. He holds all things together, as we read in Colossians. He, all things were created through him, and all things were created for him. Jesus is a lot of things, but what Jesus is not is self-important. He is doing some ministry, he is doing some teaching, and he gets interrupted. And instead of saying, you can wait your turn, he lets these kids interrupt him. And he says, bring them to me. Why? Because these are the ones who get the kingdom. These are the ones to whom the kingdom belongs to. These little ones that you disciples think aren't important, they're actually the most important in the kingdom. So let them come. They are more important than this teaching that I'm giving. Jesus experiences here what I like to call a holy interruption where he is doing something vitally important and then is interrupted. And instead of treating this thing as a nuisance, instead of treating it as a problem to be fixed, he accepts it as a gift from God and then blesses these children and uses this to teach. This is to whom the kingdom belongs to. Those who are weak, those who can do nothing for themselves. These are the ones to whom the kingdom belongs to. Jesus is very busy, but he lets himself be interrupted in this moment. And this is almost exactly like what we hear in Acts 3, which was a scripture that we read today. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer at three o'clock in the afternoon, and a man, lame from birth, was being carried in. So Peter and John were two of Jesus' apostles. This is right after the, the apostles are, uh, the disciples are filled with the Holy Spirit, and they go out and they preach the gospel and convert a few thousand people to the way of Jesus. But at this point, the followers of Jesus are all Jews. This is a Jewish group of people who are following this rabbi. At this point, the gospel has not been preached to the Gentiles. They have not worked through. The Spirit has not led them into the conversation of how Gentiles, like people like us, are included in the church. They haven't had that conversation yet. Right now, they're all still Jews. So Peter and John are doing what Jews do. They are doing what Jesus-following Jews ought to have done, which is follow the law. And the law says that at 3 o'clock every day, there's going to be a worship service. There's going to be uh, some uh, sacrifices. There's going to be songs sung. There's going to be some teaching, which is a lot like what we do here, right? They sing songs. They have a teaching. And in this case, in the Jewish context, they have sacrifices for their sins. So Peter and John are doing exactly what they are supposed to do. They're following the law of God by going to a worship service. They're going to church, right? That's what they're doing here. They're doing what they're supposed to do. Every Jew that was able to go went to temple at three o'clock. 
right? If you had to work or if you were out of town, that kind of stuff, you didn't have to make it to the temple every day. But if you could make it, you were commanded to be there. And so they go there. They are doing exactly what God has commanded them to do. You get that? They are following the law. They are following exactly what God has commanded them to do. While they're going, they see a man who is lame from birth being carried in. People would lay him daily at the gate of the temple, called the beautiful gate, so that he could ask for alms. Peter looked intently at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver or gold, but what I have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, stand up and walk. He took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. Jumping up, he stood and began to walk. And he entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. In this moment, Peter and John, doing exactly what God had commanded them to do, go to temple. On their way, they were interrupted by this beggar, by this man who needed help, who needed money. And I, like, I love what it says up here, right here, this highlighted part of the end of verse 4. Peter looked intently at him, as did John, and said, look at us. When we hear intently, we think of severely, right? But this word is actually a great translation, because that just means with intention, right? It's they, he intentionally stopped and looked at this beggar. Now again, when I go to the grocery store, I intentionally don't look at people, Right? I, w I grew up in the city, and I know it's a little bit different here in the rural areas. I've been lived in rural areas for a long time now, but I grew up in the city, and that city training kicks in, which is you don't look at anybody, you don't talk to anybody. Eyes forward, you don't bother, I won't bother you, you don't bother me, right? That training still kicks in lots of times when I'm doing things. When I'm driving, when I'm doing errands, when I'm at the grocery store, I just don't look. I'm not going to make eye contact with you, I'm just going to do my thing, and you do your thing, and we'll, be, we'll all be good. Peter didn't do this here. To look intentionally at this person, he had to stop and look at him. And John did the same thing. And then Peter says, look at us. And the man fixed his attention on them. They made eye contact with one another. On their way to worship, they stopped and made eye contact with this beggar. And in a moment, where chances are they were probably running late, as you do when you go to church, right? They stopped and they allowed themselves to be interrupted on their way to worship in order to serve this man. They didn't have any money to give him, but they gave him what they could, which is healing. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, stand up and walk. They were able to do this ministry because they were willing to be interrupted in this moment. So we have these two passages here. Luke 18, 16, Let the little children come to me, and do not stop them. In Acts 3, 4, Peter looked intently at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. Jesus and the apostles, both experiencing holy interruptions. Interruptions where they were going about their business, their very important business, but they were willing to be interrupted. And when they did, they were able to give glory to God and to do ministry because they were willing to be interrupted. Most of us are so busy, we are not willing to be interrupted. We're in so much of a hurry. Our spirits are filled with so much hurry 
that we are not willing to be interrupted by anybody, let alone a child or a beggar, a homeless person. It's very difficult for us to take time to pause, to have that conversation, and to serve the person that we're being interrupted by. Most of the time, if we see somebody standing at the corner at Walmart, you roll up the window when you're by them, right? Because you don't have time or you don't have cash. And so you don't want to have the conversation. You have to go on with your day and do your next thing. We're just so darn busy that we don't, we're not, we don't allow ourselves to be interrupted. And here's what happens when we don't allow ourselves to be interrupted. So we miss out on God. As I was reading and praying over this passage and I was thinking about the biblical story, it reminded me of a couple other times that people had been interrupted in Scripture. And so I just jotted down the, the major characters in the Bible and kind of thought through their life. And what I realized is that there's a lot of people in the Bible who were interrupted by God. And I made a list so, I, so that you can hear it. Okay? The first major person who was interrupted by God was Abraham. He was doing his business, being a herder, and God came to him and said, you are going to be my people, I'm going to be your God, and you're going to have lots of children. His life was interrupted. Isaac's life was interrupted because when he was born, his father took him up to the mountain to sacrifice him, and God stopped him and gave him the ram in the thicket instead. Jacob was interrupted multiple times by God. The most significant time was on that hill where him and God wrestled with one another. Joseph, Jacob's son, was interrupted because as Joseph was just living his life as a favored son, he was uh, taken by his brothers and sold into slavery and used by God to save the Hebrews, to save his family down the road. Moses was a sheep herder, just doing his business, and he was interrupted by the flaming bush. David was doing his thing, being a sheep herder, and he was interrupted by Samuel and was anointed as king out in the field where he was tending his sheep. He was literally just doing his job, and this guy shows up and tells him he's going to be the king. Isaiah the prophet was serving as a priest in the Holy of Holies, and God came in and he saw a vision of God on his throne with the angels. Ezekiel, the prophet during the Babylonian captivity, he was sitting on the, the edge of the river and he was crying and weeping for the Hebrew people because they no longer were in Jerusalem, and God interrupted him and called him to be a prophet and gave him this great vision. Daniel was interrupted multiple times in his life. He was a prisoner in Babylon and was brought up and was blessed by God and became very high ranking. He also had several visions later in his life, was interrupted with dreams. Mary and Joseph were just doing their thing, engaged to one another, and they were interrupted by God with the Son of God in Mary's womb. All of the apostles were interrupted by Jesus' call to follow him. They were just doing their business and Jesus came to them and said, follow me, I will make you fishers of men. Then they were interrupted again by the Holy Spirit when they were up there praying in the upper room and the Holy Spirit descended upon them and sent them out of that house and into the streets to preach the word of God. And finally, John the Revelator, the Apostle John, was leading worship on a Sunday morning when he received the vision of the revelation of Jesus Christ, the last book of the Bible. That's 12 major characters in Scripture. Almost every single one, almost every single major character that you could name, almost every single one that all of us know, they all experienced interruptions. God broke into their life when they were doing other things. Imagine if these people lived today. 
God, I don't have time to deal with that. I have this thing and that work and this hobby and that tournament I've got to go to and this other thing. I don't have time for this. They were so busy, we are so busy, that we miss out on what God is doing. We miss out on God's holy interruptions in our day-to-day life. Because this is how God works. For whatever reason, this is how he's decided to work, is that he weaves himself in and out of our day-to-day life. And he comes to us in our children. He comes to us in homeless beggars. He comes to us in the neighbor that we don't like to talk to, that we don't like to deal with. He comes to us in our family members that we have broken relationships with them and they're kind of the black sheep. God chooses and ordains those who are the weakest and those who are the most powerless to break into the world because it is to such as these that the kingdom of God belongs. The kingdom belongs to the people that we don't want to be interrupted by. The kingdom belongs to people that we don't give the time of day to. That's where the kingdom is. And we're in such a hurry, we miss out on the kingdom. We miss out on what God is doing because we move right past our children. We move right past the beggar on the street. We move right past the people who are problematic in our community, even though God said, there I am. There I am. And so what do we do? What do we do? Well, there's a couple things I think we can do. Uh, one, as kind of has been a refrain the last three weeks, I think one thing we can do is schedule less. Frankly, I, I think making some decisions and prioritizing what we're involved in is a good thing to do. So taking an audit of our life and maybe deciding that there are some things we don't absolutely need to do. And that gives us space in our schedule to be interrupted. It gives us time in our day to be interrupted. But there's another way that I think that we can do this is I think that we can do this, and we see this a lot with Jesus, where whenever he went out and had a meal, every time it's recorded that he had a meal, he never ate alone. He was always with somebody else or with a group of people. Probably the most famous example is with Zacchaeus, the tax collector who everyone hated. And Zacchaeus climbed to the sycamore tree to see Jesus come into town. And Jesus walks up to the tree and says, Zacchaeus, I want to come over to your house for lunch today. This is how Jesus operated. Whenever he did things, except he went away to pray by himself, but as he was on his way doing his ministry, he was always inviting people to do things with him. Or he was inviting himself over for a meal. But he always did things with people. I think this is something that we can cling on to. That I think that doing ministry and living this life of ministry and, and experiencing the kingdom in these people that we don't give the time of day to really has more to do with just inviting them into things that we're already doing. Guess what? Most of the time, you are at home and you have dinner at home, right? Invite your neighbor over. Hey, why don't you come over for dinner? Invite that family member over. Invite that person over. Hey, I'm going to go do this. Why don't you come with me? If you have a tournament on Saturday, hey, why don't you go to my son's tournament? Well, you know, we got a picnic going. Why don't you come over and we'll hang out for the morning? You can invite people into the things that you're already doing and specifically invite the people who are most vulnerable and most powerless in our world. Children and those who are sick, those who are homeless, those who don't have what we have. This is where the kingdom of God is. That we can include, we can live a life of ministry in a life of abundance, but it requires us to not be in such a hurry 
And it requires us to pay attention. To pay attention to what God is doing and to be like Peter. To look intently at those around us. Who's hurting? Who's sick? Who needs help? Those are the people that we can invite into our lives. That we can slow down for. And that's how we can live a life of abundance. This is the way that God has ordained for us to live a life of peace and joy. It has to do with inviting those who are most vulnerable into our life. Having time to be interrupted by those who are most vulnerable. It's about paying attention to the right people. Those who are most sick, most vulnerable, and in need of help.